На трибунах олеют знамена, Облака поднебесь и плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона Разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. The international break is unfortunately back this week. And so we'll cover Russia's squad selection, a new look team, including a few debutants and a new captain, and that boring nil-nil draw against Moldova. And then we'll move on to what is probably one of the craziest weekends of RPL action that any of us can recall, and finish off with a quick mid-season review. Now we've hit the 15-game mark. Back again this week is the Whatever This Is boys. Firstly, Hanu Trevedi. Hi. Uh, good to be back. And I'd just like to give out a disclaimer. If at random points in my when I'm talking, there's like bangs or booms in the back. It's not a bomb. I'm not in a war zone. There's just fireworks. They're irritating, yes, but they are just fireworks. So I apologize on behalf of everybody. But uh, yeah, it's good to be back. Hope everyone's fine. And luckily, unlike Hanu, who has turned into Verastat Haroyan this week and joined the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict, Artem hasn't. So hello, Artem Makarevich. Hey, nice to be back. I feel like I should give a disclaimer as well, something like Hannah, you know, that was quite interesting, so um, I apologise. For absolutely fucking no one. <laughs> <laughs> right, guys, going to kick off right now with the uh, straight into the Russia team and the Russia game. So Russia's three matches in this international break were, of course, last night's 0-0 draw away to Moldova. And then the kick off in the Nations League away to Turkey. And then also away to Serbia, so it's three big away games for Russia this week, and it's a bit of a bit of a difficult squad that Stanislav Cherchesov has put together. And, and it started off with a quickly run through it. It was uh, Shunin, Guilherme, and Safanov in goal. Zhikia, uh, Deveev, Mario Fernandez, Yevgenyev, Yuri Zhirkov, Fedor Kudryashov, Andrei Semyonov, Igor Smolnikov, and the midfield, but for some reason, the midfield isn't on the RFS website. But we'll skip the strikers. <laughs> it was Artyom Zuba, Anton Zabolotny, and Alexander Sobolev. Now, since then, there's been a few issues with the selection, as mentioned. Now, Artyom Zuba has been dropped from the national team for reasons which we will get onto later on in today's podcast. Uh, Alexander Yerokin, Anton Zabolotny, and Daniel Savoy have all been have all dropped out of the squad due to inconclusive COVID tests, according to UEFA guidelines. And in reaction to that, uh, Fyodor Cholov was, was called up by Chichesov. Now, in the team against Moldova, it was actually quite an interesting one. There was some nice new, fresh faces into it for the first time in what seems like forever, with Deveev, Daniel Fomin and Cholov all starting the game. Now, Artem, you watched the game <laughs> that nil-nil draw is there much to really go in on about it or not <laughs> it was one of the worst matches of football i've ever seen in my life um it just it, it was really really awful to watch thank god i was it wasn't the main thing that i was doing i was kind of just looking at it when when things were happening but like the only two moments i remember were both from um daniel foreman who, who took shots from maybe 30 yards out both straight at the keeper keeper handed them both over so like if, if that's the highlight of the match, that, that tells you pretty much everything you need to know. Yeah, do you think maybe that, obviously we did mention that there was some quite a few changes, Georgi Chikia captain you know, for the first time in 
in Zuba's absence. Deveev making his debut, Foreman making his first start, Chalo for his first start, Alexei Moranchuk back in the team, Cheryshev back in the team. Do you think maybe this raft of changes just kind of affected Russia's rhythm a little bit? I think it definitely played a part. Um, I think Russia still should have been able to win the game, but I mean, the occasion for you know most of those players is is a big enough achievement, I guess. So, I, I honestly, I, I wouldn't put too much bearing on that game, um, on what's going to happen next in the Nations League and beyond that. So, um, it was it was just something that we need to forget. Yeah, certainly, it's it's a little bit depressing that it's what just twenty twenty and. Once again, we get back to Zhirkov starting games again at the age of what must be about 57 now. So, Hanu, there was, as I mentioned, this inclusion of some some more exciting youngsters. What was your thoughts on the inclusion of these younger lads in Stani's team? Well, it's obviously great to see, um, but let me just ring off the midfielders as well, since uh, James couldn't find them. They were Zobnin, Ionov, Cherishev, Ozdoev, Kuziaev, Miranchuk, Yerokin, another Miranchuk. Bakayev, Mostovoy, Fomin, Kuchayev, Oblyakov, and Lisovoy. So quite a few names that have you know, done really well in the RPL this season. Some young players. We've been calling out for Chichasov to finally bring some youth, stop, uh, stop playing players that just haven't played well in centuries, stop playing these players that don't even get into the starting 11s of their respective clubs. So it's great to see players like uh, Fomin, Kuchayev, Oblyakov, Lisovoy Finally, of course, Lisa Boy got COVID, so he didn't actually play. Uh, it's but it's you know it's good to see that Cherchesov is finally ushering in and blooding the blooding the youth. So hopefully, in time for Euro twenty twenty one, we're gonna have a squad that everyone wants to see, where uh, both Russia's senior players and the, some of the juniors are there, and hopefully, hopefully, Cherchesov can build a system which suits everyone and gives Russia a good chance in the Euros. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you picked that up, honey, because when I, I clicked on the the Team Russia Twitter and on their thread for yeah, announcing the squad, they just, yeah, they just completely missed it. And I only just realized it as I was reading that. And I was just like, oh, shit, <laughs> I'll just carry on now. So thanks for picking up the slack there. But yeah, I, I agree. It's it's really exciting to get some of these, these younger guys into the fold. And we mentioned a couple of weeks ago and be, quite a few times before, to be honest, we've lamented Stani's... Well, shit team selections to be quite honest and it's we we put a lot of that down to the sort of penchant in russia to bring together groups of players and you can definitely see in in the, the sheer list that they they have brought in a group now safanov was forced through not long ago because of injury and covid and so on but it's really good to see him keep his place and then obviously joined by devere for the first time chalov for the first time in making a start and then kachaya for the first time who I mean, there's people have been saying that the under 21s team is probably stronger than the the senior side right now, and and I think that mix, as you mentioned, is is really important to get into. And I don't, I've seen on Twitter some some fans blaming the younger lads, saying that these lads aren't inex, are inexperienced, they're not they're not not ready yet to play for the first team. It's like it's a friendly against Moldova. It's an absolute ideal time to play these young lads. I'm just not going to get on that. And agree with that in any shape or form. So it was just one of those games where Russia now and again struggle to break down a packed defence. And that is Russia's biggest biggest issue right now. That's exactly what happened against Sweden. Sweden packed the defence and Russia couldn't get anywhere close to it. And then Sweden ended up winning the game because they're a little bit of a bogey side for Russia. But because we've got 
two more games, uh, both the Nations League games, which will be happening after the recording of the podcast. We'll be covering them in more detail next week. So we need to move on to, in my mind, more interesting matters, to be frank. And that was the craziest week that I can genuinely remember in the RPL in a very long time. And Tanu tweeted on the on the RFN Twitter account th- th- all of this, which happened on Sunday alone, literally just on Sunday. Kimki shocked Ruben 2-0. Guy finally started and got an assist in a Siska 2-0 win, in which Ilyash Kurin and David Tosievsky also finally got a bit of game time. Roman Yaromyanko missed a penalty for Rostov. Zuba's video leaks and he's dropped from the national team. Marcus Berg scores to give Krasnodar a lead through the pen. Zuba misses a pen, which was saved by Safanov. Zuba then scores the winner, assisted by Kuzyaev, who scored the first. Alexei Sotorman off the bench gets the third and a, a rare appearance for him. Alexei Maranchuk gets his first Serie A goal for Atalanta off the bench. Roman Yagenev has handed the captaincy of Dinamo for the first time and scored and got an assist again in a, a whopping 5-1 victory over Loco. Clinton and G scored his first sc- scores in his first game back from injury. And then Slobodan Rajkovic was red-carded after 38 minutes in the game. Smolov was injured and had to go off, meaning that Russia were without a first choice and a reserve, both the reserve strikers, hence the call of Pachalov. Zilowicz got his first locomotive goal. And then Guilherme got sent off with local down to nine men, only for Sergei Pashivlyuk to then get sent off for Dinamo himself. And he ended up with only in Russia. Now, there's just so much that went on from ridiculous action to really exciting games to... What is the first thing we'll mention is it has to be the RTM Zuba leaked video. Now, in the space of 12 hours, a video leaked. He'd been dropped from the national team as a result of the video. He started for Zenit against Krasnodar, even though there were rumours that Zenit might have made a statement, still haven't. He missed a penalty and then scores and then afterwards has dedicated the victory to Alexis Sotorman's father, who passed away and then gave his own video interview discussing, uh, apologising for the incident and discussing some of his troubles off the pitch. So, f- start off with, we've got to just talk about the video. Hanu first, what's what's your thoughts on the video itself? Um, Without going too much into detail. Yeah, exactly, because no, that, that, was, <laughs> that question was a bit off. But no, I think the video itself is, is obviously embarrassing. It's obviously, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Um, you know, but I think people took it a bit too far. I think people took it a bit too far on both sides. Some people, I don't think he should have been dropped from the national team. Clearly, he was good enough. He is good enough to play. If you're just giving him a rest, well, then that's fine. But people wanted him sacked from Zenit. People wanted all sorts of action to be taken against him, which I don't really think makes a lot of sense. I think the most Zenit could do was give him like a fine for a few thousand euros because, well, some clubs, you know, have policies where players should behave accordingly on social media. And it wasn't even his fault that the video got leaked. So, yeah. I mean, it's a very unfortunate situation. But I think it just, you have to appreciate Zuba for going through that. And of course, you know, like he was apparently, the hacker apparently asked $5 million uh, to not leak the vid, which is absolutely extortionate. If he had gone for a lower sum, I think Zuba might have paid him $5 million. That's just bad extortion. Um, so I mean I think people are taking it a bit too far on both sides he deserves to be memed and joked about obviously but people are then doing rallies it's being discussed on national television I don't think it's that deep but I think we have to appreciate Zuba as, as a player and as a man for 
recovering from that situation in the way he did. And, you know, we thought Zenit were going to make a statement, but they didn't have to because he made the statement by scoring the winning goal. So, I hope yeah. I hope he recovers from the, you know, the whole thing mentally if he hasn't already. And I hope we can move on with football now. Yeah, absolutely. I agree that they don't need to make a statement. I remember when we were, our three of ourselves, were discussing it at the time when the rumours of Zenit making a statement were, were kind of airing on around Russian news platforms. And it was just, why? Like, absolutely why. It seems okay. like it's a little bit of a, a storm in a teacup, in my point of view. It's People are having a go at Zuba for, look, let's not get too into the nitty-gritty, but something that everybody does, because it was leaked, was not his fault. The video itself was actually from December, reportedly, according to RT, not the best source, but like, the video itself was, was from December 2019, and people have figured out that they could hear in the background the Match TV report that was going on, and basically said that like confirmed that it is from December 2019 this is just the way that people are going on about saying that it's a disgrace to the nation as captain of Zenit as captain of Russia is just absolutely ridiculous and hypocritical to be quite honest now the I don't want to I don't know the the uh, the full events surrounding it who it was too no one never found that out but he had a wife at the time he has a wife still he was he's in a happy relationship with her and if it was not to his wife, then that's not the greatest look and it's not acceptable behaviour, but it's something that's between Zuber and his wife and nobody else, to be quite frank. Um, I can't believe how it's got such big news of Crown Russia with so many people having a go. And I think Churchesov dropped him from the national team. I don't think it was actually scalding Zuber in any way. I think it was just getting him out of the limelight. And I think it was arguably the right thing to do. On the other hand, it's weird. This I might sound a bit of a dichotomy and contradict myself, but I also think it was right for Zenit to play him because playing for the Russian national team after that is such a massive difference to playing for Zenit, his club, his club that he gets paid for to do to play anyway. And he was due to play the ga- the game in the morning. And the team was announced. The tactics were all around, and he went out. And obviously, it was on weighing on his mind with the terrible penalty, but kind of got his own back a little bit with the with the celebration, and you could see just how how much it meant to him and how much of a weight it was off his shoulders. Artem, what do you think about the, the Zuba incident in general? What What's your thoughts? Do you think it, it was maybe a little blown out of proportion as well? Yeah, I'm on the exact same page as Hanu. Um, I think he deserves to be memed for it because, you know, anyone whose video <laughs> like that gets gets leaked, you, you, sh- you should like, yeah. you should be made fun of a little bit. But I think like, like Hanu said, people going to rallies in, in Moscow and like, you know, being discussed on, TV and stuff like that. I, th- I just think it's a bit too far. Um, it's it's really not that deep. And um, I'm happy that Semak played him after that situation. And I'm happy the way Zuba responded um, scoring the winning goal. Yeah. Now, it seems that most Senate fans have been in support of the captain and star player. But Hannu, would, would you like to just run through uh, uh, what happened with the, the Lance Groner, the Zed Ultras and in a banner that was was shown at the at the same game. Yeah, well, I didn't I didn't manage to catch the banner, but I think um, about Lance Krona. If you guys, if any of you guys want to listen to me rant for at least twenty to twenty five minutes about Lance Krona, the black the black spot they are on Russian football, how atrocious they are, go listen to the whatever this is podcast. But essentially, Lance Krona, what they did was they shouted all kinds of of flagrant stuff at Artem Zuba for the entire duration of the game homophobic slurs, 
all just all types of stuff that you know you don't you don't even like to think about and after ziba provoked them in you know after the game they justified it by saying that well uh, ziba has done a lot to provoke us and zenit and if it was some other player we wouldn't have done this and that the you know the patience the patience was running thin already and this was the final straw which i think the sense of entitlement really needs to go away when you're talking about landstone or when you're talking about any fan group you're not larger than life you're not larger than a club and they were yeah. booing zuba all game uh, even semak i think threw some shade threw some shade at them after the match but they were just behaving like no fans of of any club should should behave especially with artem zuba a player who was one of the most if not the most important player in both of the past uh, title winning seasons player who's the captain of russia who was the reason russia got so far in the world cup and i think uh, he just deserves more respect than uh, what he gets and i think landskrona really need to be kicked out of football as well simple as that yeah you you said that they're a black spot and i i, I absolutely agree with that i think they the way they went on regarding zuba's actions is absolutely disgraceful considering when you go on landskrona's various social media groups and the website and so on it's they have a list of demands of zenit and the, some of these demands that they ask of the club are just nothing short of absolutely disgraceful and have no place in society in 2020, to be frank. Um, I think they need to really take a long, hard look at themselves before they judge anybody else's actions first. And this kind of this argument around Zenit fans and the ultras and so on, uh, it pervaded different echoes, uh, echo chambers on Twitter. And a certain unnamed, let's say, person on Twitter who is a, a Russian hockey expert but pretends to be a football expert now and again as well kind of laid into zenit and, and russian football in general in which he said that um the reasons for football being loved in the country are unknown well it's only historically the biggest sport in the nation by quite some distance and is probably is joint the joint biggest alongside ice hockey right now in terms of attendance and viewing figures now uh, aside from covid of course stopping people being able to go and then he said that uh, Zenith's chances of finishing anywhere other than first place in the RPL is zero, give or take. And that they can buy any third-rate Brazilian they want and it's enough to guarantee a title. Well, Rota Volgograd have just bought some fourth-rate Brazilian Spartak by third-rate Brazilians for the last 10 years and they've only won the title once in that time. Zenith's third-rate Brazilian isn't just the third-rate Brazilian, that's Malcolm. And when he's fit, you can see that he makes a clear difference on the pitch, on the team. He's such a massive part of Zenit and one of the reasons why Zenit are struggling right now is because Malcolm's not there. And then he, he like, yeah, the, the, their chances of finishing anywhere other than first is 0%. Well, for the last two years, it has been because they've been so good. But before then, one must remember that Zenit was shit for years. Spartak won the league. Cisco won the league two years in a row. Loco won the league. And much, much of that was because Zenit were in disarray. Under, they spent 60 million euros under Mancini and another 50 under Luchescu and didn't come close to a title. Hadn't won anything for four or five years before Semak could join. This is just flagrant nonsense that he's spouting. It's, it's unfortunately it's a it's one of the worst takes in the history of recent bad takes. But because of the followership, it really went viral. And I, I just wanted to address that at the end of this. It's a little stint because it's don't believe everything you read on the internet, guys. Basically, it's it's absolute sensationalist bullcrap. Uh, 
one of those big events that also happened on Sunday was Lokomotiv's 5-1 loss against Dinamo Moscow. Now, in my notes for the podcast, I put Loco a frauds, which obviously Spartak fan, I'm going to say that. But Loco did have two men sent off, as I've mentioned, that small of injured. And I think the big thing that really hit them is just how much energy they put into the game at, at, in midweek against Atletico. Um, so, Hanu, you, you saw the game live. What what do you think about Loco? Were, were Loco poor on Sunday? Or, or was it just Dinamo really playing out of the skin and really getting a grips with the, the new boss, Sandro Schwarz, in charge? Well, I think it's a, it's a bit of both. I don't think Loco were that bad. I think Guilherme is a fraud, that's for sure. I think his eccentricity lets the team down way too often. He came out, he, he, got, he got red-carded because he handballed the ball outside of his own penalty area because he just has this idiotic tendency to keep running out. Keep like It's like he's playing uh, FIFA and he's just got triangle pushed down all the time. He doesn't know when to stay on his line and he lets the team down so much. He makes some good saves, but apart from that, he just lets the team down a lot. I think Loco are, are like Krasnodar, like Zanid, they're struggling because of the schedule. I don't think they were particularly bad. I think Dinamo were great. Um, took advantage of all the chances Loco gave them and they're looking pretty good under Schwartz. Might be that new manager bounce, but for now, I think given the quality ha- they have, given the players they have, I think they could be a real force to be reckoned with if they can keep this form up. Yeah, I think the biggest difference between Schwartz and the, the previous two managers, Novikov and Koklov, is that it seems that the, the shackles have just been taken off. Now, Zako Buvac in the summer, Zelko Buvac, sorry, in the summer did sort of revamp the squad a little bit, get rid of a lot of the players over the age of 30 and replace them with, with youngsters such as uh, Lisa Voy and Famine and Nicola Morrow. And it's, it's really invigorated that midfield quite a bit. It's still thoroughly depressing to see Roman Neustadter wander about the pitch in 2020, but he's generally playing as a centre-back now. But the the one standout performer for me in, in Dinamo's side was Roman Yevgenyev, who I think is really maturing quite quickly as a, as a as an accomplished defender, especially considering he only got his first long-term run in the team at the back end of last season during the COVID um, outbreak, after the COVID outbreak and the resumption. So he, he's he, considering the little amount of regular first-team football he's getting is really coming on quick. Um, Artem, I just want to come to yourself on, on Smolov. Now, he's out for six weeks. Will local miss, miss Smolov or not, do you think? I personally think they will. Um, with Zay Luis there, obviously, you know, he's a good striker. He'll be able to fill in. But, like, Kamano and there have just been so, so dire. Um I think that Smolov kind of offers something a bit different to both of them strikers. So um, they, I think they will miss him for sure. Yeah, I like what you said about him being a different option. He, he certainly is different to the others. I mean, Zilovic was really good against Atletico midweek and he was really good against Bayern as a target man. Back to goal, he was excellent. But he's, he still seems the same Zilovic where sometimes he's not clinical enough in front of goal. Now, it's a little bit harsh to say that. He got his first goal of the weekend, fair enough, but... Smolov, when he's on form, is is that clinical style. He's a clinical player. He, he knows how to find the net. The, the the thing is, is trying to get that out with him. And there has been rumours of late of, uh, of Smolov potentially being moved on by Loco. Hanu, do you think, could you see this happening? Could you see Smolov, kind of his time at Loco coming to an end and being moved on by by the by the people in charge there? Well, yeah, I can see it happening. I think it would be a sad end. 
because I think he's actually been decent this season, not been that bad. But if that means that Vitaly Lisakovic is going to get chances, I'm all for it. And I really think Krasnodar yeah. should have gone in for him uh, and not for Evgeny Markov, who I don't think has ever scored a goal. I, I really cannot remember Evgeny Markov ever scoring a goal. But like Smolov, it would have been because they're looking for experienced players and backups in the league. And Krasnodar, I mean, Smolov was made at Krasnodar, essentially. He was insane at Krasnodar. So that's obviously the sensible move. Otherwise, I don't know, you might see him go to like the MLS or Turkey or something, which would be quite sad. But um, I don't know, I can see it happening, but I guess it all depends on what Loco think, how Zé Luis plays, how Adair plays, how Lissakovic plays. So I, 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 think he, I think he deserves a chance. I think he deserves, deserves to play at least until the winter break, if he'll be even back by then, which is unlikely. But I don't know. I really can't say. Yeah, I think Smolov has been fine this season. He's definitely been better than he was last season, to be honest. And and Loco, despite impressing us all and surprising us all in Europe, are struggling in, in the league. And I think a lot of that is because of the European games. But it's actually a bit of a crisis off the pitch at Loco. Right now, the, the United South fan organisation is known as, of course, Russian football fan organisations are everywhere. Now, they've been head-to-head with um, the club president, Vasily Kiknadze, in a, in a long-running dispute. And it's been kind of dis- increasing in fervour like since Yuri Soman was sacked earlier this year. And in response to the Dinamo defeat, the United South published a long list of like 27 or 28 complaints, which was aimed at Kiknadze and getting rid of Soman. And, and uh, a lot of them were... Um, Worries about the age of the squad, worries about the direction, worries about the lack of locomotive youngsters coming through the team in the recent years, flagrantly ignore, ignoring that the most famous twins in football right now are local, local young academy players. Um, and the, the main gripe, number one complaint, was actually having a go at Marco Nikolic as manager, who is doing a very good job compared to Sjoman, in my opinion. Now, it was just a bit weird to see and, and it, it reads strange and and they demanded the immediate departure of both Kikanadza and board chairman Anatoly Meshikov and the angry chants have continued and it's this is kind of it's it's not coming to a head because there's no resolution in sight but it's really snowballing right now this crisis behind the scenes now I don't think that's having any effect on the pitch but it's just very strange to see and especially when so many of their complaints are like nothing complaints or just plain wrong. I know it's subjective, but it just seems so crazy. Hanu, what are your thoughts on this? I know you're a big Nikolic fan. Yeah, I'm a big Nikolic fan. I think Artem will agree with me on this as well. I think is that any fan, any locomotive fan who's saying that Nikolic, that Yuri Semen in the year 2020 is going to be better than Nikolic is simply out of their minds. I think Russian football fans have just the ultras and then the organized fan groups, some of them were starting to see just have a problem with high degrees of entitlement, which I really don't understand. I don't know how anyone can look at the work Nikolic has done and say that it's worse than what Semin would have done. Yes, there's squ- that it's just it's a testament to him that their squad isn't good and he's still done what he's done. And I don't even get the youngster point because you've got McGeef, Kolikov. Every single in every single locomotive game, there's at least five or six young players that no one's ever heard of. They're getting chances, so I just don't understand what what this is all about. And I, I think Artem will agree with me on that as well. Yeah, there's a there's a term in England that most of our English followers will know, which is gammon, and gammon denotes a certain type of person. Now, if Russian ultras 
or if you could compare that to Russia, Russian ultras would be gammons. Now they they just want everything to be the local way in quotation marks. Uh, young Russian players all over the pitch and don't actually care about whether or not the football is good as long as it's being done in their eye. Artem, what what do you think? You you agree with Hanu, right? That you, you like Nikolic and, and really rate the work that he's doing there. Yeah, I, I completely agree with Hanu. I think that he's he's doing really well and I think one of the things that he came in this season to do was to do better in Europe than uh, Seoman's teams have done. And I think maybe the focus on Europe has caused, you know, the, the league form that they're currently experiencing. But um, overall, I, I do think he's the best choice for Locomotive. Um, I wasn't too sure about that when Seoman got sacked, but um, I, I do think he's a good manager. I think it's the, the right way forward. Um, and then regarding the fans, I just I, I think sometimes they just don't know what's best for themselves. And they, they make some really, really, um, you know, stu- stupid statements, not just Locomotive, but Zenit as well. Like we discussed with Lance Corona, and it, it it is just a bit ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame. It's a blight when when people see the when you when you see the BBC stereotype bullshit articles about uh, the Russian World Cup's going to be a festival of violence and all that like sensationalist crap. Look, that's that's what it is. These groups are a large reason as to why these people have these form these opinions using this sensation sensation. You know what I mean? This crap. <laughs> and, uh, so to move on from Loco, one of our teams playing in Europe right now, another incident on Sunday is immediately after the, the 3-1 loss to Zanit, Krasnodar manager Murad Masayev offered his resignation after the poor, a poor league start in both the domestic campaign and in Europe. And he, his quote's quite funny, actually. He said that, it feels like I have robbed an orphanage or killed somebody. If the team needs it, I will leave. That's a re- I don't know if that's just a mistranslation, but that's a really weird way of putting it. But Hanu, you're famously not a big Murad Messiah fan. Do you think he should go, or do you think he's doing the right thing? No, he shouldn't go. I, I don't think. I don't think he should go. I think he got them into the Champions League. They've done well in the Champions League, and they've just been. Absolutely decimated by injuries, by suspensions, by COVID. And I just don't think it's his fault. Of course, we don't know how good a full-strength Krasnodar team is because we just haven't seen it this season. So, I mean, I think he deserves at least until the end of the Champions League campaign. After that, they could make a, after that, they could make a decision on his future. But I feel sad for him, honestly. It seems like his confidence is low. And for once, I don't think he deserves to get sacked or leave. Yeah, that, that interview, the press conference after the game was really depressing to watch because he was just so downbeat. And Masayev's a quiet man at best. I mean, he, you wouldn't say boo to a mouse. He's he's very shy and very reserved, but he's a, he's a thinking man. He, he, when he speaks, it's it's very... Uh, he's the sort of man when he speaks Russian football listens. Um, and it was quite sad to see him in that way. And I, I definitely agree. I don't think he should resign. Um, if he did, it would be nice for Krasnodar to find a foreign manager and go down the Nikolic route, Tedesco Schwarz route. Um, but keep at it. You've got a three-month winter break coming up in which you can get all your players back and and basically re- refine your form in the league as, as soon as they're back, Krasnodar will shoot at the table. So the also on Sunday was the, as as mentioned earlier, the, the Kimki shock result in which they beat Rubin Kazan 2-0. Thanks to more goals from, again, Rizian Mirzov and Denis Klushakov. 
with that spot tackling really, really coming to the fore to help Kimpke's season again. And this RPL experience and Naus are really making a difference to Kimpke. They they were too aggressive, too naive at the start of the season, and Chervchenko coming in has really showed up the defence and gave them that little man that managerial impact that quite frankly Gunko never had and never would have provided because he shouldn't have got the job in the first place. So Kimki are, are really coming on of, of late compared to how they started the season and, and it was a shock, but Ruben were terrible without Dioda just Despotovic, who was out through injury. And he's he's really been a key figure for Ruben of late. So it's not that much of a surprise looking back at it. Easy to say that. But anyway, we'll we'll finish off with another thing on Sunday that happened was Lyosha, Alexei Maranchuk, scored his de- de- uh, debut Serie A goal. And uh, he followed that up by last two weeks ago scoring his UCL debut goal for Atalanta. And crazily, hasn't actually started at all yet for them, which is just ridiculous. And uh, Artem, did you see that nice little tweet about Anton and Alexei reuniting in the national team? Oh, it was so good. Oh, it, 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 it always it's so good to see those runners together. Did you see the thing that was like um, they they played rock paper scissors to see who would go back to Atlanta, and Ant- <laughs> and, and Anton won that. So you know we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's brilliant. It would be great if they just done like a, a, a twin swap and one of them did just just return. But yeah, I, th- I think it's like things that you love to see is the, the, this wholesome content around the both Moranchuks. Like when when uh, Leosha went to went off to Italy and you had like Antoshka standing next to him giving his speech with him on the crutches and then like him giving him a hug when he was injured against Spartak and then all of this is it's really really like wholesome and it's kind of like what we could have had with the Berezutsky brothers if the Berezutskys just didn't look absolutely terrifying <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so true no I, I love both Marantrick brothers they're they're just they're they're amazing to listen to, even when they're just together. Like you can see that the energies between them is amazing. So, yeah, I, I hope that they continue to progress the same way. Yeah, certainly, and they're kind of the banner for Locomotive's really successful academy, which, for what it's worth, also included the current national team captain Georgie Jikia. So, the United South just need to back off a little bit, really. So, the and our next topic, guys, is the the mid season review. So. It's a bit of an RFN tradition here that the mid-season points, we usually do it during the winter break after the 20 games, but we've now played 15 matches in the RPL. It is the actual midpoint instead of the two-third season review. So we're going to just go through and each of us discuss who we think are candidates for the best player, best Russian player, the best new signing, best team, best manager, the worst signing, Worst team and biggest disappointment in the league at this midway point. So I'll start off with best player. And I think for myself, it's only one person. I, think I have to give it to Nikola Vlasic. Hanu, who, who, who is your nominee? Nikola Vlasic. <laughs> Autumn? Like, there, there's only one player who deserves it, so it's Vlasic. Yeah, Hanu, what were you going to say there before I rudely cut you off? My apologies. No, I was just going to consolidate my point by just saying the same thing, that he's been far and away the best player in the league this season. Just looks a class apart. He's probably going to go down as one of the best players to have ever played in the league if his career progresses the way it is doing right now. So I hope he gets a move soon as well, next season, hopefully. Yeah, same. It's always a bit bittersweet when you talk about players like this because we 
really enjoy watching them play and, and at the top of the game. And then when they go abroad, you don't see them as much because I don't really follow non-Russian football aside from English football as much. But for the profile of the game in Russia, for Flasic himself, I really hope he gets a move abroad back to one of the one of the top five leagues because he just wasn't given a shot at Everton. What, what do you think, Artem? Do you think he just wasn't given a chance at Everton? He's kind of developed after after his time there. Yeah, I think so. I think maybe he's just not what they needed at that time. Um, and I don't think they saw the potential quite like CSK did. And um, like he's, he's just been a massive coup for CSK in the last couple of years. And he's been just fantastic. So I think that one, once he moves um, to a bigger club in the future, which is no doubt going to happen, um, I think he's going to do much better than than uh, in, any of his time at Everton. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're all agreed there. That was a considerably shorter than I thought it might have been. So best Russian. Now I've got two players here and I might need some help in in deciding which for me or or some new section uh, mentions for myself. But I, I went for tore down the middle completely between Ivan Oblyakov and uh, Antoshka, Anton Maranchuk. I think Oblyakov just does the dirty work in Siska's team that basically allows Vlasic to thrive. And while Siska themselves have struggled in Europe and sometimes do struggle against a packed defence, Oblyakov and Vlasic have been just next level in that midfield. They've been really, really good. And Oblyakov's got some of the best passing statistics, the best um, coverage of ground, of uh, coverage of grounding within games. He has the current highest percentage of tackle success rate and passing success rate in the entire RPL. But then again, I think Antoshka's really stepped into. Alexi's shoes since he moved to Atalanta. Hanu, who do you think for best Russian so far? I think there's a couple of options. I'm quite uh, torn on it as well. I think Danny Lisova is one. He's uh, the highest ranked player in the entire RPL according to who scored. And I really think he has been good. I think Artem Zuba, you have to count him in if you're ignoring Europe because he has seven goals and three assists in 11 games, which is great return. I think is, is definitely a good shout. I think you could have a shout for Yevgeniev. Um, Kuchayev as well. I think we forgot Kuchayev, but Kuchayev has been really, really good for CSK. So I think there's there's quite a few players. But if I had to go for one, it would probably be... I can't go for one, actually. It's probably between Zuba or Lisa Boy for me. Yeah, Lisa Voy is a good shout. I completely, my mind completely forgot about Lisa Voy and being very good for Arsenal. Deserved his 1.5 million euro move, I believe, to Dinamo. Yeah, and has been just as effective there. Autumn, who who do you think for best Russian? Yeah, I mean, all the names you guys have mentioned there are, you know, have been playing fantastic this season. I don't think that there's one player who stands out um, above all the rest. Um, but I, I do agree with you, James. I think that Anton Miranchuk is the is the one for me. Um, whenever Lokomotiv have uh, are, are doing anything, he he's usually at the heart of it. He's a uh, you know he he really is the catalyst in their team. Yeah, and he's of course won more Player of the Month awards than than anybody else in the league this year with with two, I believe, already. Um, so now best new signing. This was wasn't just a new signing from abroad, but it was domestic as well. So. And my shout is for value of money, impact on the team that he's joined, 
And just to, to see the measure of how much his former team is currently missing him, that has to be Daniil Fomin. I mean, he moved from Ufa to Dinamo in the summer for just three and a half million euros. And it's got to be one of the best buys of the summer. And it's certainly, in my opinion, the the, the biggest, the biggest, uh, biggest, what's the word I'm looking forward to? The, the best uh, little saving for just how cheap he was. He's... Ufa's midfield is just absolutely shocking now with him out of it. And, and he's deservedly got his national team call up and, and he's just brought some fresh energy, some legs and real genuine box-to-box threat for Dinamo that they've missed in in a very long time. Uh, Hanu, what's, who, who's yours? Best new signing? Yeah, I've got quite a few picks, but I think if I had to go for one, it would be Despotovic. But uh, oh, yeah. for, the, for the sake of talking, I'm going to go for a few more. I think Zainuddinov is up there. He's been sensational. Probably CSK's best signing. Definitely the best value for money. I think uh, Hashimoto has been pretty good for Ostrov. I think uh, Lee Suwai, obviously, you have to put him in for 1.8 million. He has to be in the mix. I think that covers everyone. Sobolev was signed last season, though, was he? So that's not going to be counted. But I think Despotovic is probably the one option I'm going to go with. Yeah, it's a good shout. He's been brilliant for Ruben this season. Artem, best new signing? Yeah, for me, I think it's either Hashimoto or Lisevoy. They've both been fantastic. They're both bargains. Um, I think Hashimoto was only about 800,000. And, you know, he's been... I think he scored like five or six goals for Rostov already. He's been fantastic. And then we were just mentioning how good Lisevoy's been. You know, it's it's got to be between those two for me. Yeah, when when Hashimoto was signed as well, you'd, you'd heard a lot of talk from J League pundits and experts in the J League that they had um, signed a more defensive midfielder, if you're fair to say, definitely a water carrier. And and we all thought, to be honest, at the time, it was basically signaling the end of Matthias Norman's time in Russia, who was going to move on to bigger and better things. But that never really came to fruition. And and Hashimoto was playing much further up the field than I expected, and he's been. Really, really good for Rostov. That's, I think that's a really good shout. Uh, to move on to best manager, um, I will preface this with I am biased in this, but it has to be Domenico Tedesco. Um, I've discussed at the start of the season and in in our pre-season preview that I wasn't a big fan of Tedesco, even though I, I liked his fiery personality. I think at a bit of a basket case club like Spartak, that fiery personality was causing a few too many issues behind the scenes just with the sheer amount of aggression that he has with the sheer amount of yellow cards that he's been picking up and red cards he's been picking up um i think he got six yellows and two reds in 10 games and no other top yellow manager picked up a single one but that was because the football on the pitch was quite turgid last season especially before the break um but this season, it's it's night and day. He's, that front three and the way that they're, they're progressing the ball, it's just some of the best football you'll see in Russia, aside from probably Siska right now. So the way he's turned things around at Spartak, which is a oil tanker to get turned around, I think is brilliant. Uh, Hanu, best manager? Uh, number one, Tedesco. Number two, Nikolic. And number three, Talalayev. Awesome. For me, it's Tedesco as well. Um, to be honest, like like you said, he's just he's changed Spartak completely. Like they look a completely different team this season than they did to last, and um, they're they're actually probably my uh, my best team in the, in this first round as well. 
Um, obviously, the last two results they have they have not the greatest, but I think overall they've been one of the best, if not the best, teams in the league. Hmm. It's it's really weird from my point of view, RFN, to, to be praising Spartak again because for a couple of years now they've just been an absolute meme. I think the only awards they received in our 2020 RFN awards in July was <laughs> worst signing in Merzov. So it's 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 nice to see that somehow somebody there does actually have a long-term plan, even though they look like they're stumbling from result to result at times. Um, best team, uh, I would disagree in Spartak. I think it's actually been Sochi. Uh, I they've been they've topped the table. They've been they spent more weeks in the Champions League positions uh, this year than both Lokomotiv and Krasnodar have. And I think Fedotov has just really got that well-oiled unit really running. And obviously, Starman Christian Naboa, who coming to the twilight of his career, has just been absolutely rejuvenated in midfield. Scored seven goals this season, which is his best return since 2012, I believe. Uh, Hanu, what, who do you think team best team? I think it's a toss-up between CSK and Spartak, but from, for this current point in time, I think I have to go with CSK because everything has clicked for them. Uh, since Goncherenko returned from his little hiatus, it's just been going really well for them. I, they, you probably expect a sort of rough patch to come, but we're still yet to see the best of Adolfo Gaich. We're still yet to see Bruno Fuchs. We're still yet to see Ajuke hit um, full speed. So I think they've been really surprisingly, they've been good. All of their players, even the low-profile ones like Zanuddinov and Kuchai were really playing well. So best team, I think, it's really equal for me between CSK and Spartak. Yeah, I think that you mentioned earlier about giving Messiah time and to get his team back together. And that's really shown with, with uh, Goncharenka. He was under massive pressure from Siska at the back end of last season. So much so that he had that that uh, blood pressure issue, which forced him to go back to Belarus and miss a couple of games. Um, he's, he's, he was given full support from Roman Babayev and he's really proven that that was absolutely the right decision. Uh, of course, we're talking domestically here. I think European issues or Siska's European issues are not just down to the manager. I think it is bigger than that. It's a bigger, bigger story to tell and a bigger discussion to have. But uh, yeah, he's, Gontrarenka's been brilliant. Siska has been very good as well. Uh, worst signing? Oh, Jesus Christ. I, I, I've wrote down on my notes four different people here. Um, I'll start off with Alexander Kokorin at Spartak. Uh, I thought the signing was controversial at the time with the way Zenit binned him off. Uh, a little bit unfairly, binned him off. Um, people do turn the careers around. Look at Troy Deeney, the way he turned his around and is generally regarded as a, as one of the good people in English football, as opposed to Russian. Um, and then, of course, for pure value of money, Geich, Bruno Fuchs at Siska, both big money transfers. Fuchs has played three minutes and been constantly injured for the rest of the time. Geich has either been <laughs> stumbling around at the top absolutely clueless or just looking like a person whose top speed is like first gear in a car. Like I've never seen anybody so immobile in my life. Um, and then Nicola Morrow, I thought, might have been a little bit of a shout just because of the big sort of hype that was behind him. But once again, he's also been injured, so maybe that's a little bit unfair from from my point of view. And guys, what what do you think? Artem, I'll come to you first. Best, uh, worst sign in the season? 
For me, it's got to be Gaich. Like, I completely agree with everything you said about him. Um, I was saying this to Hannah the other day. Like, there's this thing that they have in other sports just called the eye test. And it's like, does someone look like a footballer? And he just does not look like a footballer. Like, every single time I've watched him, he just, like you mentioned, it's like a tree or someone just, like, <laughs> running around cluelessly. Like, Hanu said to me that this week he's he, he is the first time he's looked like a footballer, and hopefully he can turn that around. But just so far, he's been so disappointing, especially for the money they paid for him. Yeah. Do you think maybe that's Siska's system not suiting him? Do you think he could, say, go to someone like Ufa, who are just long ball merchants, and maybe fit in a bit better there? Yeah, I think for sure that he, he could. Um, you know, he he does seem like more of a target man or, you know, that that kind of player. Um, I, I think that Chalov suits uh, CSK so well. And I, I don't think that, the, like, I don't think Gaich even has a chance really to to get in front of uh, Chalov. Like, the, CSK play a very, you know, possession-orientated game where they've got, like, nine midfielders all the time. Um, and I, ju- I, I don't think Gaich fits into that. Um, so m- maybe it is the system. But for me, it's just he, he just does look clueless. Mm. Hanu Geich as well, or do you have anyone else to, to suggest instead? Two weeks ago, I would have firmly said it was Adolfo Geich. But since his performance uh, against Rostov, I've, I've done a complete U-turn in my opinion of him. I think that Rostov game was the first time he's actually looked slightly integrated into their system. He was making passes, he got an assist, he was getting involved in the build-up play, whereas in, in all the other games, he's just been an absolute ghost. I uh, can't even see that he's on the pitch. He got a goal against uh, whoever that was in the Europa League, but apart from that, he was he was quite bad. And then, I think I think he's going to be like Marcus Berg was initially at Krasnodar, starting off very slowly, being compared to a tree, and I think he's really going to step up soon. So, I hope that happens, and I, I think he deserves more starts, because whenever he started, he's sort of done some things, got a goal, got an assist. I think he deserves more of a chance. There's talks that Goncharenko uh, is already unhappy with him and planning to replace him with Ahmed Musa, which is those two things shouldn't be mutually exclusive. But yeah. apart from that, I think uh, Francois Camano stands out. I was really excited when he came in because it seemed like he was uh, an explosive, quick player. Someone Lokomotiv really needed, but he's not played that much. And whenever he has played, he's really not been able to display you know, too much of his attacking prowess. I hope he turns it around as well. And for like a wild card pick, I'll go with, uh, I'll go for actually a few wild card picks. I'll go with Jasurbek Jaloliddinov first, who's an Uzbekistani 18-year-old. And I was so excited when this guy came into Lokomotiv because he's a wonder kid. He's, he's really highly renowned all over the world. And he just, he came in, he got deregistered. He got embroiled in a transfer scandal. It's some paperwork stuff. Then he got loaned out to Tambov, and I don't think he's played a single game. So that's a really, really sad story. Then I think Kokorin, I would say, but he's a free transfer. And same with Oleg Shatov, I think he's been useless. But both of them are free transfers, so I can't really, you know, diss them too much. Yeah, that was my thoughts on Kokorin, because he's been either injured or just playing terrible. But you can see, like you mentioned, it's, it's a free transfers. It's he won't. He's not on the biggest of wages now. I know he was on a, a quite a hefty one at Zenit, but it's generally reported that he took quite a large pay cut to go to Spartak. Uh, so it's for, for them. It's very much a, a no lose situation, really. 
<laughs> I completely forgot about Oleg Shatov and just how terrible he's been, to be quite frank. But yeah, worst team uh, for me, it's only one way, and it's of course Ufa. Uh, they've lost Kazizov, the so the clueless behind the scenes right now. Uh, they've already sacked Vadim Yevseyev. Uh, the defense is just absolutely crumbling from what you used to see, used to seeing down in Ufa, and that was the backbone of their survival. It was Kazizov's intelligent running of a club and a strong, sturdy defense. If Alexander Belenov, I mean, he cannot save everything. He, he nearly does, and he's one of the best keepers in Russia still. But that's all that he's all that's keeping them between relegation and relegation now. Hanu, worst team. Yeah, without a doubt, it has to be Ufa. Like, they didn't replace anybody. That Andrich guy seems like he could be a nice little player who could, uh, similar to Despotovich, get a move once Ufa get to the FNL. But he's actually on loan. Yeah, he's actually on loan, so that's probably not going to happen. But they've been just utterly woeful, and I don't think there's any way back for them in the league now. Yes, biggest disappointment, biggest, uh, worst team so far, Artem? Yeah, I'm the same with you guys. I can't imagine Ufa staying up at this stage. Yeah, it's quite an easy one to to unpack, really, with just how bad they are doing compared to last year. And then I'll I'll mix these last two into one, and it's basically biggest surprise and biggest disappointment. Now, for me, the biggest disappointment has been Lokomotiv in in the RPL. Um, that just with how it's a little bit unfair, maybe, but with just how well they're performing in Europe. Um, perhaps the small and quite limited squad they've got is just really, really impacting them domestically. And they don't quite have the injury issues that Krasnodar have. Otherwise, it would have went for Krasnodar. And then biggest surprise uh, for myself is actually Rota Volkograd's new attack of Zeriko Davitashvili, um, Andres Ponsa, and a new new Brazilian called Flamarian Jr., who, who I, I really rate. And those three, two of the three have been but fair to say flops at other other mid-table clubs in the RPL and and have really come together and are giving Rotter a little bit of life and they've, they've got four points from the last three games after going 10 without 11, 12 without a win, 16 years even without a win. So biggest disappointment, local, biggest surprise is Rotter's new attack. Hanu, what, what are your two? Biggest surprise is probably... I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. Oh, no, yeah, Noboa. Noboa and Sochi, how good they've been, how they've been able to sustain their uh, good form early in the season, even without Noboa, Sochi have been all right. And uh, Kuchayev, obviously, has been a revelation. I didn't expect him to do so well. Biggest disappointment would probably be Zenit because we expected them. We expected that this year would be their year. Things are going to come along, I think, for the first three to four weeks, we were saying Zenit are going to win the league again with ease. And that's fizzled out. It's looking tough right now. And the squad at times looks thin. The European performance has been terrible. So, just in contrast to what the expectations were, I think Zenit is the disappointment of the season for me. And Autumn, biggest biggest uh, disappointment and surprise each? Yeah, for me, the biggest disappointment is in, in Europe. Um, just how badly they've done so far against Bruges, against Lazio. Um, so, I, I really, I can't imagine that they'll be in the, they'll still be playing in Europe after Christmas, but we'll see. And then my, my biggest surprise, maybe this one wasn't so, so much of a surprise for other people, but I, I just didn't expect him to be quite as good as he has been, is um, Andre Mostovoy for Zenit. 
Um, you know, he had a good season in Sochi last season, but I I didn't know how that would transfer over to to Zenit. But he's he's been a really really good player, and I'm hoping he'll he'll start some games as well and not just keep coming off the bench. Yeah, yeah, I think Mustafoy has been very good, and it was really disappointing to see him not get more starts in in Europe, especially in the last game with Zuba, Triusi, and Asmoon all out, and then you just see Zhirkov on the left, and your heart just sinks. <laughs> so. Yeah, guys, as I've mentioned, Russia are still due to play um, Turkey and Serbia in the Nations League this week. We'll be back to discuss all that and more in the next RFN pod. Now, Hanu, after last time you were on, you ended up with a nice little fun fact. So I've got I've got my own this week. So, guys, who do you think was the first ever player in the RPL to have missed two penalties in the same game? Artem, who do you think? Jeez, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's such a random fact. <laughs> yeah. Um, is it nine years ago, mind? It's it's going back a little ways here. Nine years ago. Oh, jeez, I have no idea. Hanu, who do you think? I know you you might actually have read where I wrote this down, Hanu, beforehand. But do you know or not? I, do you I have, have no idea? idea. I'm just trying to think of RPL players that were there nine years ago. Yeah, it was um, it was Christian De Boer against Krasadon in oh. 2011. No it way. Took 20 years for anybody to have two penalties in the same game and miss them both. And weirdly enough, he hasn't missed a penalty since. Yeah, see, penalties invoke my PTSD because Real Madrid lost 4-1 to Valencia at the weekend, conceded three penalties. Oh, God. One was that. a known goal. Fourth one was a known good goal. Result for, good result for Dennis Cherishev, at least. In his... Yeah, that's the silver lining. Yeah, actually playing football for the first time. But Hanu, do you, have you got anything to promote this week or whatever this is at all? Yeah, of course. Uh, listen to whatever this is on Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, whatever. Um, just just go on either mine or Artem's Twitter profile and you'll find it there. Also read the Gail Ondoa interview we have on RFN. He's another locomotive player who's come through the Youth Academy doing well for himself. Actually in the same batch as the Miranchuk's uh, Similar to Jikia, I know he was friends with Jikia. Um, similar to Jamal Adenov and Listsov and them. He gave a really nice interview about his time at Loco, his time at Anzi, um, about Russian football. So give that a read. And uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, definitely give that one a read, guys. The Ondoer interview with his time at Anzi in particular is quite eye-opening With as he goes into just how bad the struggles were at the club with going months without money and sometimes even days without food because of the lack of money that he was receiving. Artem, anything you'd like to promote? Any Twitter handles or anything else? Yeah, I'll just promote my Twitter handle. It's at A Makarevich, spelled A-M-A-K-A-R-E-V-I-T-C-H. That's been the RFN podcast. Goodbye for now. Вольный матч летит над полем мяч. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь. Но мяч берет в ноги решительный вратарь. Не напрасно футбольное поле самых ловких и смелых плечок. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, быстрота, увлечение, расчет.